After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. Hey, listeners. Uh, Happy New Year and welcome back to another episode here at Greenhouse Gaslighting. Um, I know you may be wondering what exactly do me and Josh have to talk about when we're only 11 days into the goddamn year, but we the, 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 the speaker business, what can be said about it? I mean, there's there's a lot to be said. Uh, so, you know, for those who have not been living under a rock or possibly living in another country, that's uh, not Brazil. Um, if, if you haven't been <laughs> occupied by the electric stove versus gas stove debate. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, that's uh, th- that's the real reason we're here today, folks. Um, we're gonna pivot to talking about the uh, the stove. Um, personally, I'm I'm partial to the Franklin stove. Um, you know, we got to bring that back into the mainstream. Uh, but no, so <laughs> obviously, yeah, the speaker vote. Uh, so the United States uh, House of Representatives, uh, pretty much any time a new Congress comes into play, right? So January third is when they're uh, sworn into session. Uh, they, you know, elect a speaker. And this process for the past, uh, I mean, ironically enough, literally, you know, the past hundred years has been probably, I would say, generally non-controversial, very little ripples and whatnot. Um, you know, when I talked about this with my class on Tuesday, uh, which was the first, you know, day of the semester and whatnot, um, who knows, maybe I'll refer them to this episode too, if they really want a deep dive, um, but yeah, so for the past hundred years, this process has just been pretty straightforward, right? It's you know the majority party has a coalition that you know is obviously the majority, right? It has a majority of seats in the chamber, and they elect a speaker. Um, this process followed that up till you know January third, in the sense that you both caucuses had voted on who their candidates would be. Democrats elected Hakeem Jeffries, and of course they're the minority party. He has realistically no shot at winning, but. There was enough belief this time around that there might be enough chaos for him to get through, mm-hmm. and Republicans elected McCarthy with a few holdouts uh, for that nomination. Uh, by the time they actually voted for Speaker, those holdouts kind of grew, right? And so the first ballot, uh, Kevin McCarthy only gets 203 votes. Um, Hakeem Jeffries got 212, which meant he you know, had more votes, but you need uh, to get that 218 uh, to actually get the majority, or if people vote present, uh, that lowers the necessary threshold you need to secure the majority. Yeah, and I think in that first ballot, only... Well, actually, hang on. He had uh, 203 votes, first ballot. Yes. I was just trying to see how many present votes there were, but I think the present votes don't show up until the fourth ballot. I got the Wikipedia pulled up. I'm, I'm being... Yeah. I'm, it is it is CNN primetime over here, folks. <laughs> so I know I intended to maybe ask this question a little later on in our discussion, but maybe it's a good time to ask this now. Um, because one of the prescient reactions people were having online about this was, is it always this chaotic or does it tend to fall into this many rounds? So I did want to ask, like, is there a precedent for this kind of chaotic speaker vote? Are, are there past examples similar to this? Yeah, so, I mean, new? the the first one was the one that um, kind of, you know, that 100 years ago one, right? 1923, 
uh, the U.S. Speaker election there, that was um, contentious for a number of reasons, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, in general, like, the further back we go, there's a little bit more contention in these uh, for a number of reasons that I'll get into. But mm-hmm. in 1923, the reason that uh, contest went to nine ballots, not the uh, grand total of 15 we got out of Kevin McCarthy, um, that was because of a few things, right? So that Congress, um, Republicans had really... Uh, Republicans were in the majority again, uh, though the Republican Party of that era is quite different from the one we have now. But the issue was that was that they had they still maintained a majority that they had the prior Congress, the nineteen ninety one and nineteen uh, um, nineteen twenty one to nineteen twenty three one. Um, they maintained a majority, but they lost um, around like seventy ish seats, right? So a pretty big. Uh, loss, right? I mean, that's different mm-hmm. from this time where they actually, you know, gained the majority that they, you know, didn't have before. Um, but in addition to that, um, Congress also worked differently as far as the schedule was concerned. So the votes ended up happening uh, in December. Um, you know, they had had previous like caucus meetings to kind of discuss this beforehand. Uh, but in the interim, as well, you have the president of the United States, who was a Republican at the time. Um, uh, what was it? Harding at that point, I believe. Um, he dies, and uh, his choice was Frederick H. Gillett, who was the incumbent at the time anyways. Um, but he dies, so like that sort of opens the door for like this rebellion, right? And you get a rebellion from like the progressive Republican wing of the party, um, kind of helmed up by Henry A. Cooper. Um, he holds out, you know, ru- you know, never really surpasses like 20 votes. Um, so kind of similar to this time around, right, where they sort of just kept throwing names out there to kind of see um i don't know if they really had intended to like see if anything would stick or if they were just determined to get mccarthy to just say all right i'm done um weed weed himself out into the sunset but uh that's kind of that was the precedent there and then before that um you know this is uh the first time in i believe 150 so years where you had uh going past nine ballots right and this is a pretty unprecedented thing and uh, relatively in like the modern era and whatnot, but in the Civil War era, like the pre-Civil War era, the speakership was a lot more contentious. Uh, and like that kind of is for a number of reasons, right? Like first is of course like the issue of slavery, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. anytime you, you talk about the 1800s uh, or like the mid to early 1800s in American politics, it kind of always comes back to that issue, right? It's just sort of this um, standard bread and butter. Uh, so that's one of the things, but it kind of created this weird regional divide, right? Where, you know, there's a difference between what a, you know, Southern Democrat and a Northern Democrat believes. Exactly. Right? They don't, yeah. They're not necessarily the same thing. Um, you also had different political parties at the time. Um, the Whigs were sort of the, I guess you could call them like the Democratic opposition. The Democrats kind of had uh, a pretty strong hold on Congress and whatnot through like pretty much from Jackson till like the Civil War. Yeah, the Whigs were a weird formation like this because this was back in an era where regionalism determined things more than I- ideology. Yeah, so, and I mean like and you know like ideology like kind of as like from like the modern construct of it is sort of tied to those regions a bit. Mm-hmm. Um where you know your ideology is sort of informed by that. But yeah, like you know it's it's it, it the region definitely matters a lot more as you said. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so like you know, you have that, and you also have like you know, for a brief time, you have other parties like the Know Nothings parties or like the right. Natural Law Party. All these like kind of weird groups uh, that sort of exist. Um, 
and they kind of, you know, they, they make it harder to sort of get that majority coalition you need to secure a speaker anyways, right? Because you have to sort of form uh, what an idea that was kind of flirted here a little bit was, you know, the idea of a coalition government, which is more of like a parliamentary thing, right? right. Um, where you sort of have to like kind of agree to sort of um, share seats and, and power and whatnot. Um, so that was a little bit more necessitated back then just because of the more broken nature of things. Um there are a few other parallels to the Civil War era as well. There was uh, threats of violence in the speaker vote. That was quite common back then as well. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if I would quite jump on the um, kind of historian bandwagon that I've seen where, like, oh, hey, this is really bad because, like, these things happened leading up to the Civil War, ergo, new Civil War. I don't think we're quite there yet. But, I mean, you know, it's it's, again, another sign of just, you know, the divisiveness of like the modern political era. Yeah. And like, I know like, it's kind of like a pop history thing to be like, Oh, the last time uh, a speaker vote took this long was prior to the civil war. Ooh. But I mean, the smarter take, if anything exists, right. Is like both times, this most recent one in that time stressed the limitations of the system. Really? For, for different reasons. The first one yeah. being that you have two committed factions, one against slavery and one for it, trying to build a society that dictates that. And in this case, we have, you know, our system not able to kind of cohere around two different sides of a culture war expressed in partisan conflict, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that, like, you know, it's, like, the underlying motivations of the group is different, right? I mean, not mm-hmm. not to defend, like, those antebellum, you know, pro-slavery not parties. Not at all, exactly, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not to defend them, but, like, you know, they at least had, you know, some type of policy conviction and whatnot. And, I mean, and there's there's some stuff here that you get out of, uh you know, the Republicans that were holding out, you know, the Gates faction, the Freedom Caucus faction, whatever. I mean, the, the Freedom Caucus was a bit divided here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you get some of that, but... You know, really, it's like you're in the majority of the House, but you don't control the Senate or the presidency. So, like, earnest policy objectives don't really matter. And it's and it's interesting, too, where, you know, I was seeing, you know, the, you know, the intellectual cruiserweights of the right, you know, like Ben Shapiro and whatnot, kind of complaining about how this is embarrassing, this is humiliating. And there did seem to be a little bit of a divide um, mm-hmm. in, you know, your talking heads in terms of, you know, what makes more sense. You know, do we just settle for McCarthy? Do we fight him? Whatever. And but, you know, overall, it's like, you know, all of them sort of agreed that the fundamental job of the uh, Republicans in the House is basically just to impede and block the Democratic agenda. And fundamentally, you don't need a speaker for that. Right. If Congress, you know, Mm -hmm. without the speaker, there's no rules uh, committee and therefore there's no rules. So Congress was, you know, for about a week, you know, had no rules. That's why you kind of saw like people who weren't from Congress just hanging out on the floor. You know, Justin Amash um, of Michigan threw his hat in the ring and he was hanging out in Congress, um, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a little sad. Um, You know, I I thought it was more so just working a bit, but actually showing up there showed that he might have been a little bit more genuine in his pleas than... uh, anyone realistically should be uh but and and like it was also kind of controlled how like the c-span cameras were used as well um though it looks like they might be used the same way going forward um there there's restrictions usually when um there's rules in session but because congress Mm -hmm. hadn't had those you know there was a little bit more um candid observations that were on c-span that i think you know the internet certainly on twitter had a lot of fun with 
Definitely, but, you know, we thank the C-SPAN camera operators for their service in these different Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, but, you know, my overall point there, right, is that, like, you know, fundamentally, you, you know, if there's a speaker who's there to sort of, like, literally be, like, the tome wielder of, like, we're just obstructing everything, or you just don't have a house that works, it doesn't really matter. Um, at least as far as, like, that political objective, right? I think long-term, like, political consequences... Uh, particularly electoral consequences. I mean, there is a difference there, and uh, I don't necessarily buy that this will, um, you know, really hurt them in 2024. But it's definitely, I think, a symptom of stuff that will hurt them. I I agree with that assessment. So I'm going to cannibalize a couple of the questions I have here on the outline together, really, with this. So Kevin McCarthy has been a perennial candidate for speaker in the Republican caucus, if I understand. I think the last time he tried to run for something and lost was, I think, uh, was it Boehner? Yeah, so Boehner had stepped down, or it, he, he might have had some role before that, but he was uh, kind of like Boehner's lieutenant, and when Boehner yeah. had stepped down as the majority leader, McCarthy sort of the natural speaker-elect, right? And, and that was a weird period. I know there's a lot of, like... Yeah, because then Basically, Paul Ryan got it for something. or was Yeah, it? it was that Paul Ryan's the one who ended up with it after that. Uh, it wasn't even really so much a battle, right? It was like Boehner had stepped down because uh, <laughs> basically the reasons why, you know, this happened, right? You know, he had kind of lost control over the uh, further right wing portion of the caucus and mm -hmm. um, didn't like being speaker anymore. So he stepped down, re resigned and uh, retired from Congress. Basically um, cashed out, yeah. Yeah, basically cash. I went, went into, I was going to say the weed industry, but cannabis is the uh, politically correct term and the one that he uses now. Um, so, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, was a that was a transformation and a half, right? You know, like definitely one of the people who I'm sure has a pretty anti-marijuana uh, um, <laughs> record in Congress, but ended up doing that. But yeah, so McCarthy got passed over. Um, and I, I, I'm not entirely sure... Um, why? I mean, there's like conspiracies as to why, right? Like there was there was belief that was like, oh, there was going to be like an affair that was exposed. He had kind of gone through like the media gauntlet and like had of of among other things exposed, quote unquote, uh, that Republicans had the uh, Benghazi committee just to hurt Hillary Clinton, uh, which you know, very shocking stuff that I'm sure was really groundbreaking. Yeah, I, 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 I'm really wondering who was shocked by that. I'm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was like one of those things where it's like, oh man, mask off. But it's like, <laughs> it's it's like you know, there's a there's a, I don't know, it's it's like a mask off if like, I don't know, like if if the mask was just like a caricature of his face and he just ripped it off. That's basically it, what it, it is. It's like, like if you really believe the Republicans like operate in good faith, this is probably a shock to you. But anyone who sincerely believes that, come on, come on. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, so McCarthy was passed over. Um, that was kind of all behind the scenes, though, right? It wasn't like it had come to a vote and he was humiliated in as epic of a fashion, or even a, in a less epic fashion as what we got here. Um, so yeah, that was one thing where like, you know, it was kind of, it was, there was always signs that he was a weak candidate, right? And he he has this reputation of being kind of dopey in interviews and stuff, or at least like during during Boehner's term and even like uh, during various interviews and then through this voting process, he just 
he never seemed like an over-eager do- like dope. But he was always just like a, yeah, they're calling me a dork, and I, I don't even know they're calling me a dork kind of energy. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a weird fellow. Like, I, I mean, that's probably, like, the best way to describe him. I know, like, I mean, I, I saw, like, Tucker Carlson called him, like, politically agnostic, which I don't really buy. But, I mean, I think, like, I mean, when when the right wing says someone's politically agnostic, they just kind of mean that they're, like, they're not committed he, to some, like... He didn't drink enough of the Kool-Aid, or he didn't... Yeah, enjoy, like, they're yeah. not, like, that committed to, like, you know, the, he didn't the craziest do the, parts of the agenda. Well, it's, I think it really is, is just um, the establishment at this point in the Republican Party is who does less jug hooting. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, of, like... I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I... I feel weird calling him part of the establishment wing of the party. Yeah. But like of the people in, I guess that wing of the party, he's definitely the one who's the most willing to sell out. And that's exactly, you know, what happened here. Right. I mean, like even prior to like actually securing the speakership, he, you know, is like there with like Marjorie Taylor green every step of the way, because Mm -hmm. he sees her as like the best path to like, actually like bringing the rest of these freedom caucus people on board. Um, he's there with, you know, like he, his acceptance speech for when he's finally the speaker is, you know, like thanking Donald Trump, you know, literally on the, you know, the day after January 6th, uh, you know, it's, and like all this stuff that like, you know, it's, and and it's interesting because, you know, like fundamentally the reason why this battle was contentious in the first place, uh, for multiple reasons is because of the 2022 election, right? Mm -hmm. Republicans, uh, didn't necessarily get enough of a uh, majority to just secure his vote in on the first time without those holdouts. Um, And people were kind of incentivized to hold out on him because they didn't do so well. But, you know, part of the reason he didn't do so well is because of a lot of those members, right? You know, like, Boebert almost lost her election, and you have a lot of other uh, candidates there, too, who are just kind of, or members that are just kind of like, you know, it's like their brand of politics were kind of firmly rejected in large parts of this country, right? You know, abortion was a major issue and they're all, you know, pro-life and their position was firmly rejected uh, and numerous other things like that. And kind of tying yourself so closely to the brand of the far right is definitely going to like, you know, any like plausible deniability that he had going for them is pretty much gone. And that's that's something I'm trying to understand at a technical level too, right? Which is like, barring ideological goals, which is what drives them. Like, I don't really think they got to extract any concrete concessions from this vote. Did anyone get any kind of like favorable uh, committee assignment out of this? Um, you know, I'll have to look at the exact committee assignments. They did get three people on the rules committee. Which okay. kind of helps them kind of enshrine a lot of the rules they were pursuing. Um, Matt Gates notably said, I ran out of things I could even imagine to ask for, um, which is like, I can imagine Jesus. quite a lot. I don't know what that means exactly. Um, and, you know, I have to see who's on, he was on the intelligence committee, right? Something like that, I recall. Yeah, uh, I'll have to look at these committee assignments exactly because I'm curious because there was the belief that because um, he's on the same committee as maybe it's on intelligence, um, but he's on the same committee as uh, Mike Rogers of Alabama, not the former member Mike Rogers from Michigan. Mm-hmm. 
he like, because he had threatened him on the floor, right? And he's on the same committee as him. And the belief was that he might have secured his gavel um, for, for switching to president, which is like, man, like not even like voting for McCarthy, but just like allowing this process to end is enough to secure like favorable positions is pretty wild. It's the Armed Service Committee. Um, let me check that. Which what what was the exact threat made? I I well he I, like had like reached over to like try to attack him. What? <laughs> like I mean I mean like, there was there was all kinds of bad behavior on display. What was that? Was it like one member like vaping on the floor too, but trying to hide it? Oh yeah, I think there was that too. I mean the people and again like it's it's there's the lack of rules, lack of decorum. Uh, and it's like I I don't know it's it's weird right? Like is there some benefit to seeing members? vape like i mean i don't it's not a habit i i particularly um see value in i guess like for lack of a better term but like it's it's one that like you know like okay like people do this right is that like i don't know is that something i don't know like is like is that like does it make these people seem more relatable i i I think it's, it's less about the relatability thing and more of like it's like what we were trying to touch on with like our initial conversation with george santos right is that there's this veneer of respectability, professionalism, sure, uh, all the, all that stuff, right? And these are the people that tend to, especially like conservatives, will lecture people on like young people what? these days. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like, and like, yeah, I guess that's true because I mean, there's sort of that like idea of like, I mean, I feel like that was something that I feel like COVID put it into, right? Just the idea of like, you know, the the business things where you all, you know get up you know suit and tie dinners and stuff like that i feel like that's all just like it feels like an artifact of the past i think covid was one nail in the coffin but definitely like seeing these members make other fools of themselves uh right. is another nail yeah And speaking of Gates, while we're trying to pull up his uh, committee assignments and stuff right yeah it doesn't look like he got like the gavels so i don't i don't know I don't know what they got, like, because again, like, I mean, securing votes on certain things, right? Like, they their first vote was like, quote unquote, defunding the IRS. Like, well, like, that doesn't actually do anything because it has to actually pass through other chambers, and that's not right. going to happen. Um, and again, like, they're making a lot of these votes that are more or less entirely performative, Right, because they're 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 basically you know they're they're shooting guns, but they're they're blanks, right? They don't have any uh, real like you know they they can do whatever they want without consequence here, except you know maybe the government shutdown, which uh, normally I would say I don't necessarily know if I really see that like having like I, I don't think we're going to default on the debt, but like you know there's like somewhat of a fear there, right? Because I think even this process, right? I think, you know, like, yeah, Gates had made like this whole fuss about he didn't want to vote for McCarthy. He has all these numbers of people that don't want to vote for McCarthy. But you kind of always like when you hear these people, you kind of just like, yeah, like whatever, like Gates is at it again. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like he doesn't, you know, he's not really going to carry through with this, but they did carry through with it for quite some time. So, you know, how committed these people are is definitely, I mean, it's interesting, but in like a very morbid way. Yeah, <laughs> it's because like, oh, you know, this could be real consequences down the line. Yeah, but like, as far as I can tell, though, like, I cannot name a single concrete benefit they got out of it. And then, again, I'm I'm just jumbling the the outline here. But 
that one clip that came out from the alternative C-SPAN camera footage we've been seeing, right? Mm-hmm. Of um, that suspicious whisper made to Matt Gates, and he he went a little cold after that. Oh yeah, the nice little shoulder tap and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. that was after, that was at the end of the fourteenth vote. You know, that was right after Mike Rogers had like had to be restrained, pulled away from him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that that all kind of um, came about around the same time. Um, yeah, and it's interesting too, right? Because it's like it's like oh man, there's still like even with C-SPAN, even with all these alternate like you know views and angles that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise, there's still that like intrigue and mystery about like what's actually happening and whatnot you know what are like what are the words being shared behind you know maybe not so closed doors yeah i think like you know this is like the subtext floating around and there's not like anything particularly juicy anyone can pick up on unless they're trying to like really like get their imagination to a fever pitch but i think like the the lack of rules and seeing everybody like you know behaving poorly or people who you wouldn't expect to be talking to be talking that veneer of respectability and this like myth that members of congress themselves you know will pass around that like well you know we all work together we're all trying to compromise blah, 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 all of that um or that like you know people are honest that veneer was kind of not necessarily eroded but like kind of called into question and it just looked to me like, oh, so we're just greasing palms and it, it, I, I'm in public. In fact, you can do the motions of greasing palms because no one's hearing you say anything. Yeah, now, and, and and it's interesting too because I know a lot of um, there's been a lot of like scholarly debate on the impact of C-SPAN and like particularly with discussions about like you know, and I talk about this a little bit in my course as well over. Um, you know, like, does, like, having the cameras on make things a lot more performative? And, like, you know, are certain speeches, would they, would they have even happened without that? Is there negative consequences to that in terms of, like, polarization and whatnot? Mm-hmm. And yet here we – it felt a little bit more candid in a lot of ways, right? Like, definitely, like, you know, AOC talking with Matt Gates and Paul Gosar, that's not really the kind of thing that feels like, oh, this is just because the cameras are on. Right. So it was interesting this process seeing it be more like I don't know I mean genuine makes it sound like you know more warm and fuzzy than I think it really is but you know there was a little bit more of that like actual take of like this is maybe a little closer to what you know life in the chamber might look right, like where like right. these people and even like I mean like the Paul Gosar thing was particularly surprising just cuz like he's like the guy who you know you know nearly has committee assignments removed because he had like you know posted a meme of like killing AOC like a little right. weird seeing them have a rather casual looking conversation um, so you know again like some of it's like you know like the stuff like the meme is more so when the cameras are on where this felt like a little bit more like the cameras were off except this time they weren't indeed so like we talked about this last year and I'm trying to figure out how much of this will hold true and granted, we're only 11 days into the new year, so, like, I'm not sure how long this can hold up, but how how solid of a hold do you think McCarthy's going to have over um, the Republican caucus in the House? Uh, virtually non-existent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, like, and this is the thing, too, where, like, 
and I think like part of the belief going into this that this would not be like a real meaningful battle is because no one really wants to be the speaker. And like you were looking at like you know the other candidates. I mean, like initially it was like oh like they're kind of rallying behind like Jim Jordan. Uh, well, that didn't really last, right? Because I mean, like one Jim Jordan was voting for McCarthy anyways, but it just didn't really last. Then they kind of rallied behind uh, Byron Donalds, and that largely just seemed to be like a you know tap on the back because he finally defected. So it's like let's vote for him, and he's going to vote for himself. So like why not? Um, but and, and, and to be fair, when the, he was nominated, I kind of thought they just straight up made someone up. Um, I didn't think he, I, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, then, you know, Gates tried to get like a Trump vote going, which I was surprised that ended as like much of a failure as it did. Uh, then a few people started nominating like someone like Kevin Hearn, which was largely just as a vindictive joke because they could say Kevin, right. and then not say McCarthy. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it had anything to do with like a legitimate interest in him serving as speaker. Um, and, you know, that's like all like, you know, it's like, and, you know, the, the reason they don't want to serve a speaker, right, is because this is what they have to deal with on every vote, most likely, or maybe not every vote, but on a lot of them, right? You know, like they're, they have to be, you know, kind of kowtow to this right wing and that will make them make uh, like the really far right wing and that'll make them make costly mistakes for like the members, you know, across the ballot, right? You know, when they're, you know, glued to i mean when people say there's no moderate republicans if you know like this makes it look rather true right you know when you're sort of like yeah like i'm gonna take a selfie of marjorie taylor green on the way to you know accepting the speaker's gavel and things like that and you know like one of their concessions was actually kind of meaningless um all things considered but it was this uh um adoption of a single member motion to vacate which is basically one member can make a motion to uh basically start a vote of no confidence in a parliamentary system right so just oust the speaker uh the hint the little hidden detail of this is that it was previously a five member motion which does that really you know make a huge difference i don't i wouldn't necessarily say so but you know you know that that's going to get pulled the minute he does something like the minute they cave in on like ending a shutdown or something, McCarthy's out. Mm -hmm. And that, that also just had me thinking, right? Like aside from maybe like the symbolic prestige of the position, I don't really think you get to wield a lot of influence or um, even like a positive public opinion unless your party holds the majority, right? And it would need to be sizable in some capacity. Like in this gridlocked state, if anything, you're the easiest member of the House to point towards for dysfunction, if that makes sense. 100%. And I mean, even, I, I think, you know, Pelosi was probably, all things considered, a pretty good speaker. And I know a lot of people have issues with her, you know, kind of on all sides of the aisle. From an right? institutional you know? perspective, though, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like from an institutional perspective, she was pretty good, right? You know, she... um yeah, and, and even like from a like political perspective, right? I mean, I think she, um, you know, on from the left, she did support at least some things that people wanted, and like maybe those things wouldn't have happened without someone from an institutional perspective like her. Um, and you know, she she was someone that was like you know kind of wielded like institutionally strong influence, right? And yeah, there was issues with that, right? Where people had as in terms of like kind of from a like anti small d democratic sense, right? Where you know individual members were kind of 
disenfranchised relative to the speaker mm -hmm. uh, because you know they there's there's limitations on how many amendments they can propose and things like that. A lot of like kind of this. Um, I don't want to say inside bait. I mean, like it's like the it's the bread and butter of like how like you actually get legislation right. You know, that's the stuff that you know the speaker um, is kind of key to right. And it seems like it, in McCarthy's case, he's really depowered the speakership, um, both from Pelosi, but also from even like Boehner and certainly from like the likes of Assert and Gingrich. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, and again, like a lot of these Republican speakers lately, they've been leaving in disgrace right you know gingrich was basically ousted by his own party uh hassert was outed as a child molester um and banner you know kind of went off in the sunset what paul ryan didn't last long either did he no ryan was barely there i mean he i was like he kind of had like a slightly more graceful exit but yeah he was only there for like a few years i think two terms uh but he was you, you could already see like the writing on the wall right you know they were going to lose the majority um before he resigned or retired rather and didn't run for a re-election and uh you know trump was already kind of like on his throat right like he knew that like this was and, and again like too right you know in the republicans positions right you have that you know <laughs> large specter of a man uh in the background right you know donald trump is still and you know like again mccarthy himself attributed his victory of speakership to donald trump uh, there's the C-SPAN footage of Marjorie Taylor Greene, like on the phone with Trump, handing it to other members to try to get them to change their vote. Um, like literally that direct lobbying just to get McCarthy in. And the minute he does something that like isn't like Trump approved, there's a problem for him. Uh, or there's a problem for you know if someone else replaces McCarthy midterm or anyone else, right? You know the speaker is you know. In a particularly problematic position, I think within like the modern Republican Party, but especially one where like you have such a narrow majority. Yeah, and like that's what's been tricky to determine in like our discussion of like what what even is the establishment in the Republican Party at this point, right? Because you know, Trump Trump aligned or not, they're all taking money from you know the Heritage Foundation, Alec, all the mm -hmm. usual players. But the only like policy requirement is to demonstrate a symbolic fealty to Trump, and then you get more clout the more photo ops you get with him, basically. Yeah, and I mean, like outside of that, like I don't, I don't think Trump is as necessarily like as much of like a culture war. I mean, he's definitely a, and you know, probably like you know. A, ground zero of the culture war in a lot of right. ways but i don't think he necessarily demands so much when it comes to like actions being taken for the culture war right other than like the preservation of himself um mm -hmm. but you know one of these bills where they're like you know kind of defunding the like the wokeness of the military like whatever the hell that means um and you know we're performative gestures like that that i just it's it's really strange where it's like it's not clear like and and i and i get again like this is kind of like you know when they were elected right everyone pointed out that like they didn't really campaign on clear policy positions here they are sort of empowering government at least in one chamber and again you know the actual policy when it comes down to it is either like borderline insane or it's uh unclear and like just the most like vague stuff imaginable 
Yeah, and like the the funny thing about Trump being ground zero for the culture war in a way, right, is like the whole point is just that he pisses off the libs. That's the whole appeal. Yeah. He doesn't even have to lift a finger, actually. The whole theory of change, if they have one, I mean, I, they fundamentally want nothing to change, let's be honest, is just to keep, just, just, just to keep him around as, like, I don't know, some kind of totem of power? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a good, I think that's a good like, uh, metaphor for it, right? It's like some weird, like, fixture or totem of power. Um, yeah, and I think you're right. Like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how much of him, like, how much value do they really get out of him now other than just, like, he owns the libs? I mean, there's, you know, it's, there's some, like, race issues and whatnot where I think that, like, you know, that's relatively consistent on the culture war. But even then, like, I mean, not to, like, follow, like, you know, the theory that he's actually, like, really great for the gays or whatever, like, they sometimes like to argue, but, like, he doesn't have nearly as, like, fundamentalist of a position on a lot of these social issues that a lot of the Republicans in Congress and, you know, kind of in, like, these uh, these thought leaders in the Heritage Foundation exactly. and outside of it, like, he, he definitely lacks um, that level of commitment to those particular issues. Yeah, it's like, it's basically whoever um, sings his praise the loudest gets to yeah. work under him, but they personally have to be enterprising enough to seek those levers under him. Well, and look at how, you know, Gates and a lot of these people who were voting against McCarthy, even though Trump had endorsed him, look at how they talked about it, right? They're like, I love Trump. He's my favorite president, but that tells you how much I hate McCarthy, that, like, I'm willing to defy him for this one purpose. Uh, this is the only thing I'm willing to do to ever, you know, disgrace my Pope uh, is to vote against McCarthy. Or, like, uh, I think Gates even specifically said that, like, only mistakes Trump ever made were, like, personnel ones. And this is just the latest example of that. Yeah, the the personnel were not mistakes. The personnel were the one who kissed the right asses. That's really weird. <laughs> well, you know, you know, sometimes someone kisses your ass and then stabs you in the back, right? You know, it's... Fair enough. <laughs> It's the circle of life. Oh, God. I mean, that's the thing. is like McCarthy could have probably held more sway over the coalition at this point. Um, either with giving everyone their dream committee assignments, which is, which, is, which is impractical, or just like getting ahead of the competition with a, with a photo op with Trump, basically. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the fact that, like, the... You know, the most notable one he had was the one like right after, uh, you know, January 6th, before, like the first time around. But like, you know, it's, you know, maybe he needed a more recent one. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I think, I think in the case of McCarthy, is just fundamentally unlikable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like when they were, like when they were talking about his strategy, I mean, and his strategy, like, let's face it, you know, there's, you know, I'm about to use some like hard political science uh, jargon to describe McCarthy, but he's a dumbass. Like his his whole strategy was, we're just gonna keep voting, and eventually they will cave. And that's sort of what happened, right? I mean, like, there was a lot of concessions supposedly and whatnot. We don't know the you know the full scope of them, um, and you know whether or not they were meaningful, right? And even then, right? You know, like I don't know why you couldn't just concede, like, yeah, we're gonna have this vote on like some asinine policy that's not gonna get through the Senate, right? Like, there's no cost to that. 
other than like its position taking and maybe that's deadly but like i don't think that the republican party really conceives like position taking as like remotely negative right i think they see it as all positive um because i don't think they really are that interested in swaying moderates anymore but you know he's fundamentally as i just think he's like fundamentally unlikable and that was like you know the the reason why you know democrats were lockstep with hakeem jeffries i think one was symbolic to show that you know they function as a party while the Republicans don't. Um, but it's a lot easier to do that in the minority than is in the majority. Um, anyways, but you know, I think that's like one thing. But also, like, you know, when there was discussion about like a coalition speaker, they're like, let's bring back Fred Upton, who retired to lead it. You know, Justin Amash volunteers himself for it. No one takes it seriously. Uh, but you know, like, or like, oh, let's try to find some moderate Republican. No one's like, oh, what can McCarthy do to maybe get a few Democrats to vote for him? Because no one on that side likes him. The people on his side, you kind of get, and there are a number of them, more or less, even the people who voted for him every time, more or less imply that, like, if this keeps going, I'm not going to vote for him. Because let's just give Steve Scalise or someone else a shot. Uh, just work our way down the ladder. Yeah. I just, I think within the Republican Party, there's no more, like, the only person you can build around is Trump. That's why the sp- the speaker vote for him fails, because what's he going to do in the House? You want him to be president. Well, I think that was, uh, I think Green had explicitly said that, like, I don't, I don't want him to be third in line, I want him to be the president. <laughs> there you go, there you go. And then, I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure what else can be said about the Republican coalition at this point. I mean, we can talk about George Santos, but I, I, he is a demon of his own creation. I don't even. Oh my don't even god! Maybe, I mean, maybe let's let's talk Santos. Let's do. Let, we're we're on Santos' corner, real quick. Well, there there is like one interesting thing about it, right? So, like one of the things that they did get in the rules was kind of gutting the House Ethics Committee, which seemed to be largely to protect Santos and maybe a couple other people who are under investigation. <laughs> which again, it's like uh, like purely like this like. I don't know. I mean, like, imagine like this is your response to like these ethics concerns in your in your like caucus is like let's just gut the ethics committee. Like this is clearly like it would be like saying like, hey, you know, there's footage of us like robbing this place, so we're going to uh, defund the electricity for the cameras, so we can just rob this place, you know, <laughs> without anyone saying. Like it becomes like really transparent that there's issues right. as a result, but like. Santos, like, it's just, I mean, a lot of C-SPAN focus on him because he's sort of like, you know, the talk of the hour if it wasn't for McCarthy, right? Is you know, the Santos. um, There's footage of him, like, not acknowledging when his name is called for the vote. I'm sure he just wasn't paying that close of attention. I know there's conspiracy theories that that's not even his real name. Um, (laughs) I I would love for that to be true, but... I feel like that's, I mean, that's, I feel like that's a bridge too far even for him. Um, Though there's, I mean, what was the most recent thing, right? That he had lied about being like this all-star volleyball player, like. The newest lie to come out. That's the newest one. And that's just wild, right? Like, that's like the most easily verifiable one, right? So he was the uh, Nassau County Republican uh, Party Chair. I don't know if that's where he's elected from. But they said that he's not allowed at their building. He's like, they've, they've disowned him. Because he's a disgrace in his lies. And they, then they mentioned this lie, which is like, this is the easiest thing to vouch, right? Like, to, like, to vet, right? He, he said he went to this college. 
He went to this college and won a league championship. That has got to be like the easiest thing to like, oh, well, like when did this college win a championship? Like, oh, wait, which Santos, which one's you? Like, you think that's like the easiest thing to do? Like, if I told you, like, hey, you know, I, um, I was the one who, you know, got such and such team, you know, their Super Bowl trophy. I, I was, you know, the, I caught the, uh, the winning touchdown. Like, you're not going to believe that at face value. Um, not, not at all. Like, and I, I'm, and now I'm, now I'm just going to look up George Santos's LinkedIn because that was like, that's like the first thing you do when you're vetting somebody, right? Like, right. like nobody decided to look this dude's LinkedIn up. Okay, here we go. Is it actually there? I, I'm gonna, I'm about to take a look. Nope, no idea who that is. That's Jersey, anyways. Let's see. Okay, that is not him either. Let's just, let's just, let's just. I'm just, I'm just surprised that nobody decided to call up JP Morgan and be like, just, just to be clear, uh, this guy worked for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that's what they eventually did, but again, like it was like after he was elected, and it's like again, like I mean. Was there no opposition research? Did his like opponent just like say like yeah? His opponent shat the bed with oppo research. Oh my god! Right? Like I mean, like just like the easiest stuff imaginable, and like again, like the two just lied about everything. Like I mean, like you can imagine like the number of ads, right? If he's willing to lie about his employment, what else is he willing to lie about? Right? Just the most contrived stuff, but like just easy surface level. And, like, nothing until after he's elected. And it's like, oh, hey, like, this guy, you know, is, like, living a lie. Or not even living a lie, I guess. Just, like, you know, he's his entire existence is a lie. That, and just, like, I'm not, I'm not going to say that anyone in Congress acts like a normal person. First of all, you volunteer to run for office. There's something deeply <laughs> diseased about that. But then, <laughs> like, like there, there's like hey, a that's kind the, of... That, that's the height of civic service that you're talking about. Folks, just because civic service is not on the DSM-5 doesn't mean we need to look into this as, as, a, as a society. But, but, <laughs> um, you know, like, you would think that, like, personability or at least like making small talk is one of those things that um you would learn to do or like you would try to do once you're elected to some kind of office yeah um and like the fact that he was just like sitting in the corner just staring at the camera basically and the only person he seemed to talk to was marjorie taylor green if anything right (laughs) well and like there's like all those like pictures where he's like you could see him like trying to like huddle close to like whatever wherever he perceives like the nexus of power to be in his caucus, right? Like he's he's like there next to like there's like the picture of like with like Gates and like the uh the hand the um the holdouts are like huddled together and he's just like there in the background, like, oh yeah, I'm totally part of this guy. It's like except he he was except he was voting McCarthy every time. So I, I don't he dude, the the guy is just like the definition of performative. I'm pretty much, yeah, because like at this point, oh god, I can already see us like talking about performative shit in, in politics all year now. But <laughs> like, 
given just how much of like both like liberal um talking points and even conservatives to this point is like fulfilling a set expectation of things to say and ways to act yeah you could you could begin to wonder like okay what where where does individual opinion or like uh dissent or like just just uniqueness where does that go and at this point right like where we have the culture war instead of even like a defined partisan politics at this point right Santos is it the is... defined partisan politics at this point though <laughs> there you go there you go right it's like i mean i mean it's like santos is the natural result of all this right like of course, of course, you're going to be a guy who like does whatever it takes to hold the seat, and then once you have the seat, you know you vote for whoever gives you the right amount of dollars. I mean, you know the the closest example I can think of is Kristen Cinema. Not for not at all for the same reasons, right? But Cinema mm-hmm. has a weird checkered past of like, uh being a self-identified anarchist, organizing for Occupy Wall Street, uh, environmental organizing and stuff like that, right? And now, like, being a uh, a champion for moderation all of a sudden, right? Well, and moderation's, like, the, the generous description of whatever, exactly. whatever you want to call what she champions. But, like, yeah, I mean, it, it's really weird, right, where it's, like, that's kind of... Um... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, that is a good comparison, and it is weird, right, where it's, like, they both kind of have, like, the same thing going for them, where, like, there's enough that's not right about them that you that you question everything, right? And you're like, well, like, was this, you know, very left-wing past, was that all just, like, a fabrication to get you into office? Like, I mean, like, that stuff happened, but, like, was that purely going through the motions to, like, get a base of support before you stabbed them in the back? Right, you know that's that's the way it really comes across with her and like Santos, like again, like you know the the not answering to his name being called and people like speculating that that's not even his real name. Like, how many members, like regardless of what you think of them, right? Could, like, no one is questioning that like Marjorie Taylor Greene is actually her name. Like, no right. one is no, no one's speculating that or that AOC is her. Like, you know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. No one's like, oh, is that really her name? Like, no one's questioning that. But the fact that this person is just like that much of a like committed liar that people are like, maybe like, maybe George Santos is just the name of the guy whose face he's wearing, right? Like, that's like he literally like murdered some guy and like you know was wearing like his face is like a mask, like you know, like wild speculation that like he has given grounds to because of the fact that like nothing else he says is remotely true and this is exactly why like you know there is this like ongoing public debate about like exactly how conspiratorial should you be how do you even approach that do you take the standard line or do you speculate freely? Stuff like that, right? Well, I think that conversation is ended. I think we're just all it's, like we're all living in our own conspiracies at this point. I, like. th- I mean, at this point, yeah, there is no consensus reality. I agree with that. But then, like, what what it goes to show is like public trust has been so low. What else are people going to think when stuff like this happens? Can yeah. you give people a reason to trust your system after that? 
And even earlier in this episode, we were talking about how, like, this vote could be seen as an example of, like, the system being put under duress and not being able to deal with it, right? I mean, he, how about let's look at it this way, is, like, the the membership requirements at this point, uh, the rules are broken. You know what I'm saying? Like, the fact that he got this far and everyone's like, okay, let's still try to proceed with this as it goes. Do I, I would think, like, in a sane society, if something got this far, someone would be like, okay, pack this shit up. We got to rewrite the Constitution if it got to this point. Right, or, you know, at the very least, some of, like, the more low-hanging Something, fruits, something rules, like right? that. Like, you'd think something would be done. Uh, but again, and, like, we kind of... You know, and I think that this is something that's not super new, but it's definitely been coming um, up more and more lately, is that um, the problem with Congress is that it's kind of self-policed. Mm-hmm. And when you're self-policed, and, like, I mean, like, the, the whole reason why, like, I mean, like, again, like, Santos is being disowned by various, like, parts of the Republican Party, but, like, McCarthy is saying nothing, because he was a loyal vote for him, right? You know, it's like he because of because of the fact that he was willing to like come up to bathroom when you know twenty plus member you know twenty ish members weren't he gets a free pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I, I it, it's not even really like a both sides issue because it hasn't really been. Like, there's not really a good example of like anyone approaching this on the, the Democratic side, right? I mean, look at you know the things that happen to um and this has been a few years now but you know um someone like um crap who was the the michigan um rep that had been there for a long time wasn't dingle it was thaddeus mccotter or is that who we're talking about no um who was it he would he resigned because of like the me too stuff uh he was the detroit congressman yeah um god how am i forgetting his name i know everything on yours yes 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 yeah i was like i was like i'm trying to like think of it and i was like oh, let me do i didn't look it up. i was like no it's uh john conyers yes yeah, so, like john conyers forced out more or less right like he and, and or um even you know and, and this was one that I, I don't think was nearly as severe and like you know com- compared to like all of these is you know practically innocent um was someone like al franken right you know like they're the party polices them out because of problematic features of, you know, accusations against them, things that have been documented about them, things like that, right? They're generally forced out. I mean, I I know the right tries to make a, a little bit of a sting with um, uh, Eric Sawell with his, uh, was he involved with some Chinese spy or something? But like, yeah, that was a funny one too. (laughs) Yeah. It's, and it's so weird too. Cause it's like, it's, it sounds like, completely fictitious but like it, it like i mean it happened but it was resolved well i mean for, for like, crying out loud jim jordan has those has just horrible shit under his belt right right and he even got nominated for the speaker role <laughs> yeah and it was it was said that he had the uh um he had demonstrated himself as the perfect candidate for the speaker <laughs> i mean again has to buy a guy who's accused of sex trafficking so like i mean <laughs> oh god and, and again too and it's like you know like and I was actually surprised. Um, it was on CNN, so maybe it wasn't as surprised. But I was surprised that they actually noted, like, when they're like, "Oh, well, like, you know, Republicans they, you know, elected like Dennis Hassert on the first round," and like Jake Tapper's like, "Yeah, and he was a child molester." 
Um, <laughs> but like, you know, that stuff didn't come out till after the fact anyways. And even then, like his sentence was like, I mean, the dude was in, uh, in prison for like 13 months. Like, was that like a month per child? Like, I mean, like a slap I'm on the wrist. I'm, I'm not trying to be dark here, but I'm surprised he did any time at all, given like, I well, mean, he just, wasn't I'm... in Congress at the time, but still, I mean, clearly another, you know, example of like, you know, and you know, we see a lot of discussion about it, the idea of having a two-tier justice system, and like it, it's yeah, it yeah. certainly exists. Um, I don't think it exists along the political lines necessarily. I think it exists, you know, across more of like, you know, class or, you know, proximity professional to power, lines, really. yeah. right? You know, yeah. it's, it's it's that's where it really exists. But I wouldn't I wouldn't really say it's, you know, I know that there's like kind of this push of like, you know, oh, like we gotta hold Joe Biden accountable for these like 10 documents that we discovered that uh, were classified. Oh dear God. That, that shit is also just stupid to me. It's like, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the, the American obsession with who did the more evil thing has always bugged me. You know what I mean? Like there's barely a consistent standard for punishment for doing the thing. Why are we arguing for like over like who did it worse? Yeah, and I mean, like, it's because it, it kind of descends to two things. One, I've seen it, like, kind of descend into, like, just, like, kind of, like, both sides nihilism, where it's like, everyone sucks, therefore I'm just going to, like, close myself off, which, you know, I think sometimes that is taken to an extreme and whatnot. But then there's, like, I'll, admit, I'll admit I'm guilty of that. I'll admit it. Right, yeah. And I, I think, like, it's fine being guilty of it at times, but, like, I think, like, it, it's, like, one of those things where it's just, like, <sighs> It's hard to have a productive conversation, right, uh, right, right, right? When you have like that sort of mindset, and then of course there's a side where it's like, well, um, this person did this, but that person did that. I'm going to emphasize only that thing, right? Exactly, and, like, exactly. You know, I, and I think like again with the Biden thing versus like Trump situation, they are completely different. Um, you know, yes, there's classified documents involved, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. Um, but again, it's just like hilarious where it's like you you could tell that like they're just desperate for anything to like impeach him. And again, like these people who are like kind of the the intellectual leaders of the Republican Party in Congress, uh, which you know sounds bizarre to say, but like they're the ones who are like sort of the forward facing thing, right? They're the ones who McCarthy seems to be like, I have to keep them somewhat happy to maintain power whatever power means, right? It seems to be more symbolic for him than it seems to be anything tangible or, or you know, anything he can actually exercise. Um, and, like, it's going to be costly, right? I mean, like, the like if, if they're like, oh, we're going to impeach Biden for, like, the fact that he had 10 documents, right? The public's not going to buy that. They're going to be like, look at these guys. We elected them, and all they're going to do, or, you know, like, oh, here's the select committee on the contours of hunter biden's penis right like all of these like silly performative things that like i'm sure members of their base are satisfied with it but the general public isn't yeah because who is i mean i'm i'm saying this kind of cynically but also earnestly right is like as you know of course the benghazi investigations were to damage hillary clinton's um presidential prospects more than it was getting her in trouble right mm-hmm. but do you think they would have even charged her if she did come up guilty do you really think that and i i'm not i'm not really trying to spread like a narrative here this is just me like observing trends and just like 
thinking about this two-tier justice system we were mentioning, right? Do you really think they would throw one of their own under the bus? I think that's actually interesting that you mentioned it because, like, my because I, th- I think, like, I mean, the party's changed a little bit since then, right? I mean, I think it's definitely gotten a little bit more vitriolic, but like, because there's like there's the political argument for what you do, right? You know, like on one hand, it's like this is your hated enemy, of course you're gonna fry them, right? Yeah, like she's sort of one of us, but I don't, I don't, I don't think the political class even necessarily sees the same level of unity as they may once have, right? But at the same time, it's like, well, here's like all of this oppo research. She's a really weak candidate, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should just let her like get off, you know, scot free because we've got this completely compromised candidate, right? And like I've seen even some arguments um, from Democrats for doing the same thing with Trump, right? Like, yeah, he's like horribly corrupt. He's done all, like everything and like every bad thing in the book, but. If he runs and wins, he's gonna be the easiest guy to beat. But and they even said that the first time around, right? And that you know, look how that panned out. Um, and you know, like, and, and that's the problem too, right? It's like when there's political incentives to even let you know, like these are the only people who are gonna hold you accountable, right? Because they're not necessarily one of your own. But the fact that there's political incentives to you know not do anything just further enshrines that justice system, right? And I mean, I'm sure there's divide and debate within like you know the parties over what to do but you know it's it's it just leaves like it's problematic i think the one thing in all of this right is that if you set a precedent for example that any president would have to go to jail for something you could charge them for, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think any president who's been elected in the past 20 years wouldn't also go to jail? If I mean, just- if, if, if we adopt that principle and just apply it unilaterally, they all, they're all in jail. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's like, that's, you know, I mean, that's, you know, in the international context, right? That's why, you know, we don't join the, you know, the ICC, right? You know, the International Criminal Court is because we all commit we commit war crimes <laughs> obama, <laughs> obama committed war crimes clinton committed war crimes bush committed war crimes trump did biden probably has uh maybe a little less because he hasn't been around quite as long as the others but like you know they all have right you know like pretty much ever since you know we entered the the world stage um we've all committed you know levels of war crime pretty much since you know the iccs exist and that's why we're not part of it because we don't want to, you know, be liable for anything, even if even if it wouldn't necessarily be enforced, right? It's you know, it's bad for P- PR uh, when you do that, right? I mean, no one. Um, I mean, look at how little like we've talked about drone warfare since the Obama right, years, right? You know, like all this stuff that was once hot button discussions, like they kind of fade. And I, I think part of it too is like I, uh, Americans, I think, are against. I, I think they've grown weary of like conflict where, like, you know, it involves like sending soldiers. I don't think that they're necessarily as adverse to comparatively uh, costless conflict, uh, at least in terms of losses to like themselves and like their own conveniences. Whereas, like, you know, drone warfare enables, like, you know, you to That's do the that, whole right? pitch of it. Exactly, is that yeah. we don't have to send anyone over; we can just do it remotely, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, except you still need boots on the ground for some reason. I mean, I mean, like there's, there's I don't, I'm not gonna get into a whole strategic army discussion. I feel like I might have a little bit more uh, 
of value to contribute than uh, Elon Musk and his take on uh, tanks, but uh, I'm certainly no military <laughs> expert. I, I guess, like, yeah, what, the biggest theme in our discussion on all of this, because we, we did, like, kind of hit this for, like, about an hour or so, is um, there is no cost to being honest in this business. But there's definitely no benefit. Whether you're the president or whether you're in the house. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I think, you know, there's, <laughs> I I don't know. It, it's like one of those things. I mean, I think the, the cost of being honest is, you know, I guess political brownie points and whatnot. But, and I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of like one of those things that we've always kind of accused politicians of. And it's kind of uh, become back in vogue recently. Well, on that note, I will announce that uh, we now have a set of standards in place for uh, the greenhouse seal of endorsement for a candidate. Uh, and the minimum requirement is that you will serve one term as long as you're allowed. And you're just going to act reckless the entire fucking time. Like, my new threshold for, like, a member of Congress is, like, I'm just going to be there for two years. I'm wasting no time on fundraising. I'm going to be making a ruckus in every committee I get appointed to. Even if the committee's dog shit, I'm just going to be, like, doing reckless shit. Oh, man. Because, like, again, like, I don't don't know if the correct term is progressive ambition. That's what was told to me in my uh, Congress and legislative process class. But the idea of, like, you know, consistently advancing to the next higher office. Yeah, that's usually the term we use. Okay, okay. So, like, the the whole pitch of progressive ambition to voters is that, you know, you support this person through their career, and whatever goals they said they were going to start with are the ones they're going to continue to accomplish at each higher level, right? But... I don't know how else you're going to get anyone other than George Santos and the George Santosification of politics beyond this point. The you may George have heard about Santosification of politics. You may have heard about yeah. bimbofication, but let's let's talk about <laughs> George Santosification. <laughs> oh man. Is that is that like just like a mask off version of like what we've had for? I mean, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't like. I mean, obviously, politicians lie and they kind of mislead you to like advance in a lot of cases, right? I'm not gonna like pretend that's not the case, but like he definitely takes it to a new level. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, like progressive ambition, like it, it's interesting. And actually, there was uh, a couple recent things that came out uh, with that that I thought was kind of. Uh, Interesting because there was like, and I was going to use this as a current event in my class tomorrow. It's um, so, like Debbie Stabenow, um, our senator, is retiring. Uh, I don't think anyone's announced yet. But what I did find interesting was that Diane Feinstein, who will be 92 or 91, I think, when 2024 rolls around, has not announced retirement and has already had two members say they want to fill her seat. I'm wondering who, like, who's who she's holding the seat for, right? herself i don't think i don't think she's like <laughs> or like or who's like incentivizing this to, to continue to be the case you know what i'm saying 
because like I, I'm not I'm not sure if such a procedure exists. Actually, no, there is none, right? Even if your party wants you out, oh, the I whole mean, body has to dismiss or censure you. Yeah, right? like there's like there's the full body expulsion, and then, like I don't think like you're not. I don't think you're gonna get like Republicans voting like against expulsion because they're like, oh no, like you gotta keep her. But like, yeah, there's not like great a great, and there's no like recall petitions either in Congress either. Uh, not mm-hmm. that I'm necessarily not that I'm not. I'm not that it would necessarily happen for her. Um, but it's, you know, like it's, it's one of those things that, again, you just don't really have that option. And I, and I think it's problematic, especially in the Senate, right? When it's like six years, like right. you're the, the, you know, the closest thing to a recall position. This is a little bit morbid as a bullet. Um, or for your party, like, you know, again, like there's no precedent of them calling out a hit. Uh, on a member of Congress, but uh, that we know of, yeah, that we know of. Uh, but that's wink, like wink, nudge, nudge. But yeah, like you know, that, that's, that's like that. This and that would probably require a constitutional adaptation, right? But you know, again, it's like one of those things where we just don't have uh, a good recourse for issues. And like, I, I just like I googled an image. Uh, I Google image searched her before this, and. Uh, I was uh, shocked by what I had seen. Uh, I highly recommend that you do so right now because I'm okay. Let's pull it up. I mean, like, I know she's old, but um, wow. If if we ever do like the podcast as a video, it's just going to be like my browser tabs as we're recording these episodes, right? <laughs> but uh, oh god, let's let's take a look. Elder abuse. <laughs> why? Why is this happening? Why? Why is this allowed to happen? I take it you saw what I, I found. I just, oh man, I. And, and I mean, she's someone of like I don't. I mean, like she has like an interesting legacy, right? Because I think she's in the past few years has definitely come across as incredibly out of touch, but she, you know, had a meaningful role in the institution. Right. Right. I think she's, she supported a number of good initiatives. She helped, you know, kind of, uh, you know, lift the, uh, lift the veil on like, you know, the torture programs and stuff like that during the, uh, uh, war on terror and things like that. Um, but yeah, like this is someone who needs to go, uh, you know, that's, really old and i know some people like you know before you know like i've seen on twitter discourse where it's like oh what about uh chuck grassley like yeah obviously like chuck grassley he was just elected he probably shouldn't be there either but like um i don't have any influence in that space that would actually you know get him removed from congress like you know he's he's there because he's a republican and they're fine with that like good for them i mean he's he'll probably die in office if i had to guess yeah, um, I, that that's also interesting. That I don't know, like if there's two people who want that seat, what role could could possibly be like construed by her, like you know, holding the seat? And then just just to tie this back to the earlier thread about um, Debbie Stabenow retiring and the Michigan seat being open. I haven't seen any any prominent Michigan officials declare that they want to run either. 
Well, exactly. And I mean, like, it seems Andy Levin was like a was an ask. And he basically like came out and blue said, fuck this. I'm out. Yeah. That, and that's the thing is a lot of them have just said no. Right. You know, Whitmer said no. Um, I think Benson. Um, oh, crap. Who was the other one? Um, Dingle said no. I mean, granted that, you know, not exactly passing the torch to the next generation there. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, the speculation seems to be, at least as far as um, Democrats are concerned, it's probably going to be um, Slotkin. Uh, but again, she hasn't formally announced. And it's just interesting, right, that like Debbie announces this very clear intention. I mean, her statement literally was like, I'm inspired by a new generation of leaders and I want to pass the torch, right? Very clear. I mean, I, I think very clearly responding to, you know, the election results too, right, where like Democrats did well statewide. She's assuming that one will fill her seat. Um a number of Republican names I've seen floated around. I mean, this is like a weird gallery. You've got like Peter Meyer, um, who lost, John James, who did win barely, but has lost the Senate seat twice, Candace Miller, of course, Tudor Dixon, um, and uh, Fred Upton, who is, again, like, you know, not exactly passing the torch in the next generation. Uh, of course, for Democrats, I mean, there's also the, uh, the possibility of one uh, Peter Buttigieg. Now that he's a Michigan resident, true. Yes. Um, if if he runs, if it's if it's between, here's the thing. My nightmare scenario is <laughs> people to judge, Alyssa Slotkin, and Sri Tanadar. Oh my god! Buddha <laughs> judge, and, and here's and here's the thing. It's three CIA assets up against each other. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> I really don't know if I want to vote in that primary, man. Well, a Shree had like preemptively come out and said he wasn't going to run for it. Thank God! Oh, oh, thank God! Which is which is funny because like it's like someone's like who asked? I'm like to be fair, I did want to know that he. Was I did want to know. I was really worried like, he was gonna. I, you know, it's like I I wanted to know that like that I wanted this to be safe that he was not gonna. You know, it's bad enough he's in the house. I didn't want him in the Senate. Um. Where he just gets there by out, like, you know, quote unquote out fundraising everyone, more like just out spending everyone, though clearly fundraising isn't the end all be all, given that the, uh, um, uh, the Stacey Abrams campaign accrued a uh, rather impressive debt. Oh my God. If, if it is, if it is Buddha Judge versus, versus Lock In, man, I, I, I might have to nominate someone as a write in. <laughs> the other we one we're gonna run an anti CIA slave. <laughs> I've seen uh, Mallory McMorrow floated as well. I don't know how likely I see that. That's a big jump, though, from like state senate to U.S. senate. Yeah, that's a pretty big jump. Um, I mean, I would I, the more likely outcome. I, I don't know if the districts even out even uh, line up for this, but like I, I, I more so see it as likely that she would like take Slotkin's seat. Um, if anything, like in the House. That's fair. But again, I don't know if the districts quite line up. Also, not that not that I missed your riff or anything, but speaking to what you were saying earlier about Stacey Abrams, dear God, <laughs> dear fucking God, it's so she's such a weird political figure, right? Where it's like she had like she was popular in like kind of like this online sense. Yeah, uh, leading to her. Um, did she run for governor, or was it attorney general the first time? As far as I know, she ran twice for governor of Georgia, 
And the first time she lost against Brian Kemp, there was yeah. that it was, it was during that big 2018 anti-Trump wave, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, and there was that big thing about um Kemp being the Secretary of State for Georgia. Yeah, and there was a lot of like voter suppression in Georgia. Yes, yes. Um just in and, general in the South, but yes. Yeah, but like in, in Georgia in particular was kind of highlighted by like that. And you know, so there was a lot of enthusiasm for her, at least in, in like an online sense, right? I don't, you know, I wasn't there on the ground in Georgia. Uh, I didn't follow, you know, Georgia politics that well. I do know a few scholars who well, followed her race closely, but well, so the other thing about Abrams then is like she was able to position herself as the get people registered to vote figure. Yeah. And after Warnock and John Ossoff w- both win in Georgia, I'm not sure if she necessarily jumped in to do this, but there was definitely like this political media push to like present her as the this reason is- that they won. Yes, yeah. the reason that they won, right? Now, maybe she does have an organiz- like an organizing capacity. I really didn't study the organization she was part of. What mm-hmm. I do know is she was raising a lot of money. Now, fundraising yeah. gets you places in politics. We're aware of this. Mm-hmm. What are they doing with those sums of money? That's the devil's in those details. And I'm, I can't say I know a lot. But in kind yeah, of then- debt, that's weird. Yeah, and like so in uh, 2022, she apparently raised more than 113 million dollars, but went into 1.4 million in debt. Um, and like it's kind of one of those things too, where like you know I, I don't think it's I don't I, I've seen people like refer to her as a grifter. I think that's probably too harsh. Um, like I don't I don't see her in like the same light that I see some of like. Um, like who was the guy that ran against Bobert? Like he was, he didn't make it through the primary. Like Walker, I know who, or the, the the TikTok guy. I know who you're yeah, talking. Yeah, the TikTok about. guy, the 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 gay guy who's gonna take Bobert down was how he had like advertised himself. And he positioned himself as this like anti-socialist candidate or something. I recall something yes. like that. Yes, and he didn't that. make it through the primary, but like, and it, it hit. And like, there's a few on the Republican side as well who did this, where they like all of their ads were targeting the you know opposite party incumbent. And like they didn't make it through <laughs> their uh, um, their primary, so it was like you know wasted effort. Um, but yeah, like it, you know, it's like he was kind of like one of those people where like raised a whole bunch of money because he's running against Bobert and uh, Marjorie Taylor's Green opponent. Same deal, right? Raises a lot right. of money because he's running against a lunatic. Um, and like I, I don't want to say that like Abrams like belongs in that same vein, but at the same time, it's like. And I've seen, you know, like a certain group of people in like the political class, uh, at least in like by political class, I'm more so referring to like, you know, poll watchers, like voters who are maybe a little bit more engaged with the process, right? Right, right. Where it's like, well, you know, if she had a million more dollars, she probably would have won. And it's like there's there's diminishing return. Like it is true that like you know usually the candidate with more money wins. Uh, but didn't Trump break that rule? Because like th- I know I recall like that was almost. Well, I mean, an iron there's ball. a lot of people have broken that rule. Okay, right? that's why I like, thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I think even um, crap. Who was it that ran against McConnell last time? Like she out she outraised him. Are you talking about Allison Grimes or? Yeah, like she out. Uh, was it Grimes last time or? Well, I mean, Booker and Grimes have both run against uh, McConnell, but. I yeah, think it, was, it was whoever 
whoever the last one was, right? Then it, like was they, it was Booker. It was Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So like they outraised him, but they still lost. And it's like at a certain point, there's diminishing, you know, there's diminishing returns on money. Um, I mean, like probably the best example, right? I mean, like obviously we did say like Trump has had that problem, but probably the best example is uh, you know our boy uh, Michael Bloomberg. Um, just a ton of money. I mean. And just completely thrown down the drain, and all he has to show for it is winning the Democratic primary in American fucking Samoa, like, it, it which is which is a Republican like uh, territory, pretty much. Like Republican politics tends to dominate there. Yeah, and like, and the only, he beat. Um, this is more so, I think, because of like her own like ethnic ties more so than like her politics but like you know he beat Tulsi Gabbard there that was second place but like again like it's a primary where like there's like a couple delegates in play like that was it that's all he had to show for himself and like I remember the way and I mean the way he was spending his money was also moronic and I don't necessarily know if that if it if that's uh, comparable in like the uh, uh, Abrams case or not but like the way he was spending his money I know for instance that he had um he wasn't spending any in like the early primary states. Well, the the thing about which were, like, the ones that were seen is like the most important. <laughs> the the only legitimate goal, if the Bloomberg campaign had one, and they'll never admit to this, right? Is and and again, I'm not relitigating 2020. This is this is just something that I I believe to be true. Is that Bloomberg came in to basically. Um, wreck some of the early enthusiasm for Bernie. I think that's the only reason he ran. But in Abrams' case... Well, I think I, Warren, too. I mean, there, I think we do Warren, kind of there was some enthusiasm for her as well, but it was, well, yeah, it was there to challenge both of them. Pretty much, pretty much. It, I, I, don't think, I don't think Bloomberg had any intent to actually win the office. Hell, he, he has enough money to be more powerful than the president, right? So right, yeah. That's a, that's a moot point. But with... Abrams, right? I get, like the point about her not being a grifter. I actually take I agree with that pretty much. The reason why is like fundraising is the establishment in the Democratic Party if we if we want to actually formalize it, right? Like Pelosi's um concrete ability to raise funds for the party, set people up with fundraisers, set people up with money. Mm-hmm. Is the reason she she held the cards that long in the house, right? Yeah. And Abrams coming in as like the new fundraiser on the scene and being able to play that up to try to ingratiate herself deeper in the party. Now, was she able to get a VP spot with Biden out of it? We saw that we saw that not happen. You know, her ability to win elections is definitely in dispute. But I think like you know, is is it grifting? Not necessarily insofar as fundraising has always worked like this. I think a lot of people are just starting to realize fundraising is a grift. By design. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean I and I think Yeah, and I, I think that it's I don't I don't know if there's quite the recognition recognition that fundraising as a whole is a grift. I think that there's kind of course of there isn't. A, that's what that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, like they're they're emphasizing it on like a few candidates. Um, and I think some of them like absolutely right. Like you know, it's like money's not going to really make a huge difference. And like I've seen some people suggest, and I I don't necessarily know in her case. Like I think the general 
people I think there's generally more goodwill towards her than some other candidates where like there's the idea that she might be building like a long-term organization um in terms of like Georgia Democratic voters that has, you know, long-term repercussions beyond just her race. Um but I don't see that the case for like a lot of these people where it's like very much like it's about them, it's not about like party building or whatever. Yeah, and I think it's like again progressive ambition does play into this to some extent. Yeah. You could probably pitch that oh, what Abrams is doing is like an alternative to the traditional model of progressive ambition where instead of seeking the the next highest office cuz I think she was in the, any office. Yeah, she went from Georgia State House to seeking yeah. Just ingratiate yourself into the party apparatus as a fundraiser. And then see if there's a way to use media clouds to spin that into another race. If not that, you'll definitely show up in Star Trek. <laughs> and you'll have the admiration of like a very online paras- uh, parasocial cohort of liberal. But that's really all she's been able to spin out of it. I mean, hey, you know, we're not in Star Trek, so I, I guess that's that's something for her, right? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of sad where, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I definitely don't think she's necessarily, like, someone who, I think there's, like, or at least there was, like, a disturbing level of admiration for her that I think, like, bordered on some, you know, problematic views, maybe. Um, and we're right, just, right. just in, like, the sense, like, I don't think, like, you know, turning like support of a political candidate should be your personality or like even maybe your premier form of political engagement but yeah yeah i mean it's a point we've touched on before but you're 100 percent right there but yeah i think the over under is like stacy abrams is not a new kind of evil it's more of an existing kind if that makes yeah. sense Okay, so we've been at this for about an hour and a half. The only other topic that I was able to get on the outline, and we've actually covered a lot more than the scope of our outline than we intended. So once again, uh, I said I was going to go on hiatus in January, and we're actually delivering solidly for you folks. Um, Look at that. That wasn't self-deprecating at all. Good on you. I, I left that last year. I left that last year. Folks, th- <laughs> folks, this is a free show. We will continue to deliver quality, accessible content uh, as long as we can. So the one thing that I was wondering this year, given, given just the period of the year we're in, right, is like mm-hmm. January 6th was a weird event. Um, it didn't really repeat itself. Well, you're only born once. You're only exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is my birthday. But I, I mean, I'm, I was referring to the uh, oh god, the 2021 Capitol riot, yeah, and I, part, I... right. And um, part of me was just one. Like, part of me always wonders, like, what if it came back, and we could have the same amount of just funny shit to say about it as we also just observe like the system collapse in the saddest way right and i i, I had like a bit of a bad feeling uh like you know i'm gonna cue the clip from star wars i got a bad feeling about this <laughs> um 
But part of me was just like, what if this happened again? Like, wh- how would you even deal with something that stupid happening again, right? Um, and the and the expression came to my mind. It happens first as tragedy, then as farce. And I'm speaking about the knockoff Brazilian capital riot uh, that happened on the eighth. Yeah. Um, and I'm not. I'm not even joking it about it. I'm not even joking about it being a knockoff. It was um, literally the same kind of goal. They even had a knockoff Q shaman. Uh, the same goals of basically trashing the Brazilian cap- uh, Congress building. Um, there was less of the. Um, I, I mean, I don't necessarily know enough about their direct goals. Like, I assume like they had the same intentions overall, but like, it was like the a key difference here um, is that you know Congress was not in session at the time. Yes. Whereas before uh, or the January sixth here. Um, right, you know, the the idea was intervening with that vote, and that uh, the belief would be that that would prevent um, the swearing in or the confirmation of a new president. Um, here, it's a little different. Uh, it's kind of more so like I, I wouldn't necessarily say more so like a traditional violent protest. Like that sounds kind of uh, like an oxymoron, but uh, yeah, because it's not like January sixth was a traditional violent protest either. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, but I mean, very clearly inspired by it, right? I mean, they use the yeah. same tactics organized on social media. Um, part of that, you know, kind of boiled down to. I mean, they used a number of uh, they used uh, you know WhatsApp um, and other things as well, but. Uh, in particular, Twitter, uh, notably Musk had fired most of the Brazilian staff, so uh, there was poor monitoring and prevention of this. That being said, I do think the crackdown in the aftermath of this, like, I'm sure like they might have tried to prevent it from happening altogether, but, um, you know, they arrested over 400 people, um, or I think the late, after the riot, um, over 1,000 people have been arrested. Like, there seems to be a much more serious crackdown on this. Um, there is a push for Biden to um, extradite uh, the former Brazilian president, Bolsonaro, um, who is very much like, I mean, again, like, you know, continuing the parallels, Bolsonaro was very much, you know, the South American Trump, right? I mean, that was always. That, and that's not an that. exaggeration at all. No, and it's that's... not. Like, it's, it's, that's always, there's a reason that that's been the, the comparison, right? And uh, again, he, he lost to uh, uh, Lula. And uh, he's immediately kind of almost immediately fled to Florida. Um, I think is currently in the hospital after experiencing some illness. Um, I believe the uh, undisclosed, possibly the same thing that uh, Diamond of Diamond and Silk fame uh, has endured. Hard to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the uh, yeah, like, I mean, it, it's 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 like January 6th and everything but name and the date, right? It's. Uh, you know, there's a few uh, differences. As the Congress wasn't in session, I mean, maybe that makes it slightly less bad. I don't know, but I mean, I, I'm I think a key difference here, and you know, you have a future episode planned with a um, an interview, uh, kind of delving into this in more detail. Yes, someone who's there is an upcoming interview. I would assume more qualified to just talk about this than me, um, as someone who's you know not necessarily a Brazilian expert, not an expert on the event. But yeah, this is very much like you know their January sixth. Um, 
I, I do think, though, the one of the, of the key differences uh, is, I think, the seriousness for which the uh, aftermath has been taken, right? The number exactly. of arrests, the, uh, the crackdown, um, a kind of a far cry from here, right? Where, you know, the, I, you know, not to like undermine anything like that the January 6th committee attempted, but like they roll out stuff when pretty much it's like, yeah. Congress is done. This session's done. This committee is almost certainly not going to survive into the next Congress. Here's our report. You know, they took a really, and I mean, like, obviously, like, you know, I'm sure there's going to be lengthy investigations of this as well in Brazil, but, you know, the lack of really, like, a strong immediate pushback, I think, is uh, problematic. Yeah. And I, I think that's, like, the one thing that people have noted is unlike the United States, where this was just, like, a weird thing to observe passively kind of reactive on your own at your own discretion the brazilian authorities have pretty much you know taken it seriously um and and just like i'm not i do wonder one thing though and this may be a little less serious the guy who was selling cotton candy do you think he got arrested i hope he didn't you know (laughs) i he it's it's like the guy it's it's the same as the guy in DC who like when the capital was being stormed immediately printed out 50q shirts and started selling them like i, I okay maybe maybe that's grifting but at the same time like if you're if you're trying to hustle like that we we got to respect it just a little bit not a lot but at least a little bit i mean I can't say, like, if I was in the same situation with the same means that I wouldn't have attempted to sort of, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's make some money out of this. Uh, I don't know if cotton candy would have been my <laughs> approach. But I like, I guess. like do, do you think he just happened to have, like, is that just his day job? And he's like, hey, there's a lot of people. Like, I, I mean, like, again, I'm, I'm not sure how similar Brazil is to India, right? But like, that happens a lot in India where like, you know, for subsistence, people do sell like shit just to like get by, right? So hawking is like a common profession and shit. So like I'm not sure if it's the exact same economic forces in Brazil, but the guy kind of just looked like he was just trying to get by. He didn't really care that they were there for that. He was just like, okay, you guys look like you got money, just buy this shit and let me get out of here. I do not see him as the aggressor in this situation. Oh no, yeah, I mean, but uh. Yeah, I mean, I said like it's it's you know hopefully hopefully he was he got off scot free, but uh, everyone on the actual aggressors, I mean, they I, like again, and, and it's and of course like the same people here, right, are sort of that have kind of obfuscated January six. Gen- I mean, I, I think there's a little bit more of like kind of just the usual American style, like you know, anytime something bad happens in our country, we kind of express sympathies, but don't really. Uh, take steps to prevent it from happening in ours and stuff like that. Like, I mean, there's a few right wingers who've done that, uh, except for Tucker Carlson. He's he's shameless. He's he's full on right. uh, <laughs> embracing of the uh, the grift, right? To just uh, you know do whatever he wants. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of uh, the big takeaway there. Um, I do think. And, you know, like, it's it's one of those things, I think, um, this is kind of a general thing, and it's been a, a theme of a few things on this show, where we've, you know, the United States, and I think people in the United States tend to have, like, this kind of main character syndrome problem. Right. Where we just kind of, like, you know, and, like, here, right, like, oh, it's their January 6th, right? You know, it's like, they're, they're copycats. 
And, you know, like, sometimes that's not warranted. I think here it definitely is. Um, you know, it's definitely, like, designed, you know, again, like, it's, uh, Bolsonaro is the Brazilian Trump, and, like, it's it's a apt comparison for a number of reasons, and, like, naturally, like, his supporters are kind of inspired by, like, what happened here, and, like, probably saw, like, the level of, you know, you know, there's a de there's definitely, I mean, like, I wouldn't say that we've just kind of entirely moved on from January 6th, but I think, you know, the repercussions of it have definitely been far less severe than they had any reason being, and I'm sure that they kind of followed suit in maybe in part in accordance to that. I, I, I mean, I agree with that, right? And that's the biggest shock of this event to me, right, is that, you know, we've talked a lot about the United States as an exporter of violence to the rest of the world, right? Mm -hmm. As an exporter of neoliberalism and as, as an exporter of just all these bad things. But I think the thing about the Trump brand is like this disputed quality of its fascism, right? Is it alleged yeah. or is it real? Is it is it a Ertzatz stupid version of it or is it sincere? But I think the thing that the thing that got downplayed in the early days of the Trump presidency um, that I think might be worth bringing back up now is that it was seen also as a global invigoration of the far right as a whole. When Trump mm -hmm. went up, so too did uh, Bolsonaro. And, you know, if you... We can dispute whether or not Trump is personally a fascist. I can say it out loud. Bolsonaro was a right-wing paramilitary. He explicitly yeah. took, you know, joy uh, in, in persecuting leftists. Mm -hmm. And has, has, you know, made visible and, and, and verbal threats to people, you know? That's yeah. the kind of guy he is. Now, it's also very pathetic and funny to watch him kind of flounder pathetically the way that trump does because that's i mean what i, I will mean, say that I, I think his response to his electoral defeat too like i do know this much like there was a um it, it's i think it's in some ways more trump like than i think people expected because right. I think people expected that he would go the more like hard fascist route of like cute election results i don't give a shit they say so he kind of flees to florida now granted was he doing it to escape consequences that remains to be determined, but... That continues the parallel, too, right? Fleeing to Florida. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, and, and even then, like, outside of Bolsonaro, too, you had, I mean, uh, Janine Añez in Bolivia. Granted, her tenure was short-lived and she got imprisoned, but, you know, that was another resurgence of the right. You had Le Pen uh, try to compete against uh, Macron in France. Even this... Uh, this new neo-fascist we have in Italy, right? Yeah. Um, this is like a an aftershock of the of the Trump epicenter in a way, and there there could be a dispute about like is the neo-fascist variety of politics we're seeing, you know, how sincere is it? How dangerous is it? How accurate is it to call it that? Who's to say? Of course, but. One thing, one thing's for certain. They like, they like Trump. They like this brand of 
Trump because for whatever reason, Trump is the culture war. He is the alternative to liberalism in these people's eyes, just him existing. I don't know how that came to Guy and like again, these it's a pathetic ideology. We both we both need to, don't need to dispute this. Fascism yeah. is a pathetic ideology. It is a way to aggrandize yourself because you feel shitty and you take out all your inhumanity on people you deem lesser. That's why they do it. But it also is just pathetic intellectually that you're willing to to to, to just organize around this feckless um insipid dolt who can't even deliver anything for you in a practical political sense just because he validates you and well yeah i think that that's i mean on on some level i think that's kind of like what people get out of politics in general right is the kind of seek for like where are they most validated and you know like if he at least identifies the problems in the way that you think that the are the source of those problems right you know not not to say that they're accurate but like you know if you think that the issue is like a supposed you know quote-unquote open border or whatever you know like whatever the specific policies of you know bolsonaro or some of the other you know kind of copycats are um that you know like it's it's good enough for some people right and you know we've yeah we see that on kind of all sides of this political aisle right it's, you know just at least like talking the talk is good enough for a lot of people and you know they kind of and some of it's kind of a result of a little bit of you know privilege and whatnot you know being able to sort of live consequence free of you know some of that or some of it is just you know maybe some level of ignorance and not like knowing better that they can actually solve the things that they're going to that they claim to right through those methods But but yeah, you're willing to sacrifice the rest of the world on the altar of your self-validation. And that, to me, is pathetic and ironically hilarious. Because yeah. at the end of the day, Trump is... I'm not, even, I'm not even trying to go lib mode here. It's just like... like, like Tr- Trump is kind of a pathetic guy when you see him talk. Bolsonaro's always in the hospital every three weeks. Like, these are your heroes? Right, yeah, I mean, it's just like, or, you know, your Andrew Tate's of the world who, you know, are that arrested for, se- for sex trafficking and stuff like that. I mean, it's just like, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just in, in, in summary, like, I have, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I try to be nice, but at the same time, like, these are contemptible ideologies and these are contemptible actions taken in the names of those ideologies and they're not. They're not yeah. worth keeping. They're not really. They're really not worth keeping. So, there will be an upcoming interview um, where I will have a guest on to discuss uh, the events of this uh, Capitol riot, as well as um, the political situation in Brazil, as well as the Cuban expat scene in Florida and how that pertains to the right wing turn. But. That will come out later. Um, Josh, do you have any other thoughts on everything we've spoken about today? I know we ran the gamut. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, I kind of got out all the uh, the key things I wanted to say. Um, 
you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, like, again, like the, uh, the house stuff's a little bit closer to home and it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, how long this turmoil, uh, lasts, um, if it's a symptom of, you know, I guess things in this Congress and if it's a symptom of stuff beyond, right. I mean, I don't think that, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, I think there's been this general take when it comes to, um, you know, kind of empowering some of these, um, you know, far right wing uh, members that, you know, you sort of kind of let the genie out of the bottle and it's, you can't really stuff it back in, right. You know, it's difficult to close Pandora's box. And uh, I think McCarthy is going to find that's going to be uh, true of his speakership, uh, whether or not it transpires past that, um, I guess kind of remains to be up in the air, but you know, it's, it, it definitely doesn't seem like it's, it's going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, it's still too early to predict where this could go, but we've seen enough to worry, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I got nothing else. I think we thoroughly exhausted this outline here, which means, you know, this went well. Um, so thanks again for coming on, Josh. Um, where can people find you if they want more of you? Uh, well, as always, I'm on uh, Twitter at JoshuaCoss17, and uh, I am also on another podcast, uh, the Monster Pop podcast, where we talk about uh, pro wrestling and occasionally it's intersections with politics, uh, but usually those are incidental and uh, not necessarily the point of the show, but sometimes it becomes like I am the host of uh, two political shows, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, sometimes those intersections come through crazy. Those are fun. Yeah. Well, there's some fun stuff with Saudi Arabia coming out. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll... I'll definitely include the links to Monster Pop and uh, your socials uh, in the episode description. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at, at @podgreenhouse, uh, and I'll include the links to all our other socials in the description as well. Um. If you'd like to support the show at this time, all we ask is that, you know, you provide us a review and some feedback on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you'd rather not, send us a DM, send us an email, give us some episode ideas or things you'd like us to cover. If you've got any questions, we're happy to answer those. Well, that uh, attitude's not going to let us fill that 1.4 million campaign that we're in. Yeah, well... <laughs> I didn't run up that debt. Oh, that's all I'll say. <laughs> but until then, thanks again for dear uh, for listening, dear listeners. We're looking forward to another exciting year with you guys and gals and everyone. Keep it inclusive, folks. Um, but until then, we'll see you next episode. Take care. <laughs>